Well, increasingly, I think many people's idea of the good life is a life that is free from all restrictions. Now, many people today believe that true happiness is found by living life on your own terms, living life according to your own rules. Life is better when it is free from the demands of any authority, free from any obligation except to oneself. Therefore, many people today have a negative view of authority figures. That's not universally true, but I think it is often true. Uh, Many people are automatically suspicious of anyone who is in a position of authority or who holds any form of power. They believe that those in positions of authority are only out for themselves. Uh, That simply by virtue of their position as one who has some power and influence, that they oppress those whom they have authority over. It's just inherent to a position of authority. The church, is that your own attitude towards authority? Do you believe that authority, power, is a bad thing? Do you believe things would be better if you were just free to live life on your own terms with no restrictions, just to do what you want with no one telling you otherwise? Now, regardless of your answer to those questions, I want you to see that this is not the picture that the Bible presents of authority, and this is not the view of Psalm 72. Psalm 72 is our sermon text for this morning. You can turn there with me in your Bibles. You can also find that text printed in the back of your bulletin. And brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to bring your Bible with you each week. We want to submit ourselves to God's Word. We look at what it says. Now, As we're going to Psalm 72, as we're thinking about this topic of authority, I want to be clear that the Bible is certainly honest about the fact that authority and and power can be abused. I mean, just go read through the, the prophets in the Old Testament to see how often Israel's political and religious leaders are condemned for their misuse of authority. Nevertheless, even though that is true, the Bible presents authority as something good. It is something God-given. Authority rightly exercised is a blessing to the people who live under it. It is under good authority that people flourish. Just from the beginning, Genesis 1, we see that we all live under the authority of our Creator God. Although the goodness of authority and the goodness of submitting to the authority of Jesus, our King, is what we see in Psalm 72. So please follow along as I read Psalm 72 for us. God, give your justice to the king and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring well-being to the people and the hills righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted among the people, help the poor and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May the king be like rain that falls on the cut grass, like spring showers that water the earth. May the righteous flourish in his days and well-being abound until the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coast and islands bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him, for he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. 
He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the likes of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious in his sight. May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually, and may he be blessed all day long. May there be plenty of grain in the land. May it wave, may it wave on the tops of the mountains. May its crops be like Lebanon. May people flourish in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase. May all nations be blessed by him and call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as we come, that by your Spirit you would help us to have ears to hear your word, that, you would, that we would be a people who would submit ourselves to your word. Father, we pr- I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. And we pray this this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you may see at the top of the psalm, the heading of Psalm 72, it titles it this way, A Prayer for the King. Uh, Psalm 72 is something of a prayer for the divinely ordained king of Israel, the one who sat on the throne of David. It was a prayer for for that king, the king of Israel, to rule well, to to rightly rule, to uphold righteousness and justice. It's a prayer that the, the people might flourish under the rule of this good king. But this prayer, Psalm 72, what you need to see is that it was more than a prayer simply for the present king of Israel at that time. Psalm 72 was a hopeful expectation for the promised king to come. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with King David. God made a covenant with King David, promising to raise up one of his offspring after him, whose kingdom and whose throne would be established forever. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 72 was ultimately a prayer for that king. It was a prayer that anticipated and longed for the perfect rule and reign of the Messiah and true king, Jesus Christ. And we see this clearly in some of the language used about this king here in Psalm 72. The psalmist prays that the king will be feared throughout all generations, that his rule will extend to the ends of the earth, that all kings will bow before him, that he will save the lives of the poor, that his name will endure forever, and that all nations will be blessed in him. My friends, this this psalm ultimately points to the great king and the perfect king. That's King Jesus. I think it's interesting that the two greatest kings of Israel, King David and his son, King Solomon, bookend this psalm. There's one mentioned at the beginning, one mentioned at the end. Uh, The last verse of the psalm says the prayers of David, son of Jesse, are concluded. Now, most Bible scholars believe that uh, these words are not just the conclusion of Psalm 72, 
but they serve as the conclusion to the entirety of Book 2 of the Psalms. So you may not know this, the Psalms are divided up into five books. Book 2 includes Psalms 42 through 72, most of which were written by David. So that's the conclusion. The beginning, the heading of the psalm says that it is a psalm of Solomon. Now that word, that Hebrew word that is translated of, can also be translated as for. So it is possible that this psalm was written by King David in anticipation of the reign of, the, of his son, King Solomon. It's a prayer for his son. But I think it's more likely that it was written by Solomon himself, asking the Lord for help and favor as he ascended to the throne of Israel. In this psalm, what Solomon is doing is he's really describing the ideal king, the perfect king, because this is the ideal that all the kings of Israel should strive to live up to. The king of Israel was God's representative to the people. He was entrusted with authority by God, and he was to be using it for the good of the people of Israel, for the good of God's people. So though this psalm does anticipate the goodness and the perfection and the greatness of King Jesus, the the characteristics mentioned in this psalm, the things we see mentioned in this psalm, well, they were also things for which the kings of Israel, the earthly kings of Israel, should strive for. Though, of course, they all fell short of the standards and the, the ideal that we see mentioned in this psalm. But isn't it true, brothers and sisters, that we are all to strive for Christ-likeness as well, though we all fall short? Well, the truth is, for as great as David and Solomon were, and they were great, the two greatest kings of Israel, well, neither of their rules, neither of their reigns, neither of their kingships could match the description we see in this psalm. Again, that's telling us that this psalm is pointing beyond just David, beyond just Solomon, beyond any of the earthly kings of Israel, it is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the greater king who was to come. This is why, again, in his own ministry, Jesus proclaimed that one greater than Solomon is here. Matthew 12, 42, one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus was here. Brothers and sisters, because this psalm does point us to Jesus Christ, Well, the the ultimate question this psalm presents you with is this. What is your attitude toward the authority of King Jesus? Do you desire to live under his rule? Or would you prefer to be free from his demands? Do you desire to live under the authority of King Jesus? Or would you prefer to be free from his demands? Do you desire to be free from the commands that you see in his word? Or do you desire to submit yourself to them, to live in them? In his commands, do you see your good? Or do you see oppression? The main idea of this psalm, and therefore this sermon, is this. Serve King Jesus, who eternally rules in righteousness and justice for the good of his people. Serve King Jesus, who eternally rules in righteousness and justice for the good of his people. And what we will see in this psalm is that those who desire to live under the good and perfect rule of King Jesus, who see the goodness of his authority, well, they should do six things 
six things. It's going to serve as the outline for the sermon. It's a long outline. Hopefully the sermon won't be equally as long. But they should do six things. One, they should pray for his justice. Should pray for his justice. Second, rest in his goodness. Third, they should anticipate his rule. Fourth, trust in his salvation. Fifth, hope in his endurance. And six, praise his name. I'm going to give those each to you again as we go through. So if you didn't get them all, they're coming again. So first, we're to pray for his justice. That's what we see in verses one through four. Now, now friends, the, the first clue that we do not truly desire a life that is free from all constraint is that we all have a dis- instinctive desire for justice. We can all eagerly say yes and amen to Solomon's opening plea that God would give his justice and righteousness to the king or to the royal son, which is just another reference to the king. We want someone to enact justice. We want authority to uphold justice. Psalm 89, 14 says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. They were to be foundation, the foundation of the throne of Israel as well. Again, the the king was God's representative to the people. Therefore, he was to rule according to the Lord's commands and the Lord's standards. Church, the truth is that kings or anyone who has been placed in a position of authority, they rule under the authority of another. Doesn't matter how great they are, any authority figure on earth rules in the authority of another. They rule under the authority of God himself. Now, they may not realize that. They may not recognize that. But it is God who raises up rulers and authorities, and it is God who brings them down. It is God who sets the limits of their rule and the time of their rule. Any authority that anyone on earth possesses and any authority that you might possess in your life, church, but ultimately comes from the Lord, and it is to be used and stewarded in service of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, if you have been placed in a position of authority, whether as a manager, a husband, a parent, maybe an older brother or older sister, or any other position, well, your position and roles and responsibilities have been given to you by God, and you are to exercise them under God's rule and authority and according to his commands. To use your authority for his service. So that the mission of the king of Israel was to rule with righteousness and justice. That's why Solomon prays for that. But not his own ideas of righteousness and justice. Solomon didn't get to define righteousness and justice. No, he was to rule according to God's standard of righteousness and justice. Brothers and sisters, we do not define justice. No other person on earth defines justice. God does. Well, this is why in in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18 through 20, God gave this command concerning any future kings of Israel. Uh, This is what is written. When he, the king, is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction. In other words, to write a copy of God's word for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him and he is to read from it all the days of his life 
so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. Friends, the the king was to be governed by God's word and God's wisdom. This is why it pleased the Lord so much when Solomon famously prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom when he ascended to the throne of Israel. He prayed that God would, would give him wisdom to rightly and justly judge his people. He knew it was a task that was too big for him. God had given him great authority. And he needed the wisdom from above if he was to exercise that authority well. Church, no matter great or small your authority might be, even if you have no authority, we need the wisdom from above as well. If any of us is to exercise authority well, we need to be governed by the word of God. Well, in these verses in Psalm 72, we get a glimpse of God's standard of righteousness and justice. He's the one who defines it. We get an idea of what it looks like. The king was to judge impartially and fairly, not to show favoritism. He was to punish the oppressor, the one who did wrong, but also to vindicate the one who had been wrong, to make things right. The king was to be a defender of the weak, not a protector of the strong and the proud. Solomon prayed that the king would not seek his own good, but would seek the good of all. And this type of rule was to be a blessing to those who live under it. Just look at verse 3. Solomon's prayer was that the blessings of the the king's rule would flow from the mountains and the hills to the people. They would prosper under his rule as he followed the commands of the Lord and led them to do the same. Church, is this how you exercise the authority that you have been given? Are you a defender of the weak? Do you seek your own good or the good of those you have been given authority over? The call of authority is to seek the good of those under your care by upholding righteousness and justice. Although Solomon, King Solomon, began his, his rule well by praying for God's wisdom so that he might rule in righteousness and justice, if you know your Bible, you know that he fell far, far, short, far short of that standard. Later in life, he began worshiping other gods. Part of the reason he did this is because he failed to heed the word of the Lord and he married foreign wives. He was unequally yoked with those who were not God's people. He did not remain loyal to the Lord and the people suffered as a result. That tells us that Israel needed a greater king. Solomon himself needed a greater king. Brothers and sisters, we need a greater king, a king of perfect righteousness and a king of perfect justice. And so God's promise to his people many generations later through the prophet Jeremiah was this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will raise up a righteous branch for David... He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Brothers and sisters, Jeremiah was prophesying about Jesus because Jesus is the righteous king that we need. 
As the Puritan pastor John Owen wrote, the laws of his rule, Jesus' rule, are righteous, and his administrations are righteous. They proceed from a constant love of righteousness and a hatred of iniquity. In Jesus, there is no darkness, only light. Jesus gives his people his righteousness when they place their faith in him. His righteousness gets given to his people. And the Father has entrusted his judgment to his Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus will one day return to judge the living and the dead in perfect righteousness and perfect justice. He will right every wrong. He will punish all evildoers who have not placed their faith in him. Our church, the question is, do you long for that day? Do you pray for that day? Jesus will one day vindicate all the oppressed of his people, and so you can patiently endure injustice now, knowing that Jesus rules in perfect righteousness and justice and will one day make all things right. No matter the circumstances of our life, he does no wrong, and so we can joyfully submit to him. Brothers and sisters, we are to pray for the righteousness and justice of the king. Second, we are to rest in his goodness. So we see in verses 5 through 7, now friends, have any of you ever worked for an excellent boss who, who cared for you well, who sought your good, who maybe sought to develop you? Maybe did you have wise and, and loving parents who cared for you well? Have you lived under a, a just government? Well, if so, you know these things are a tremendous blessing. It is a joy to be under that type of authority. It's a joy to work for a good boss. It's a joy to submit to good parents. You recognize the goodness of a just government if you live in an unjust government. Good authority is a blessing to those who live under it. Proverbs 29.2, When the righteous flourish, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, people groan. 2 Samuel 23, 4, some of David, King David's last words, he says this, The one who rules the people with justice, who rules in the fear of God, is like the morning light when the sun rises on a cloudless morning. The, that gl the glisten of rain on sprouting grass. Well, this is the picture we see in Psalm 72, is it not? And Solomon prays that the righteous will flourish under the rule of a good king. He prays that the king will be like rain that waters the earth. And we had a decent amount of rain last year in Fujairah, actually, or I guess I should say this year in Fujairah. And it was wonderful as our mountains even became a little bit green for a while. They, the grass on the mountains, it grew and it, it thrived. Well, that's what happens when people live under good leadership. They grow and they thrive. This is the type of king that Solomon wanted to be. And friends, if you are in a position of authority, this is what you should want it to be like for those whom you lead and serve. Your goal should be to water and nourish and cultivate those under your care. Husbands, is this how your wives would describe your leadership? Parents, what about your kids? Is this how they would describe your leadership? Are you nourishing your wives and your children spiritually? Bosses, employers, managers, is this how the people that work for you, is this how they would describe your leadership? Well, Israel did flourish during much of Solomon's good reign. 
We read in 1 Kings 4.20 that during his reign, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea. They were eating, drinking, and rejoicing. Life was good. But notice Solomon's prayer in these verses. He prayed that in verse 7 that well-being would abound until the moon is no more. In other words, till the end of the earth. Well, uh, we know that the bounty of Solomon's kingdom certainly did not last. In fact, just after his death, the kingdom split in two. It was bitterly divided between north and south. War and strife came. The blessings did not last. But church, King Jesus promises eternal blessing to his people. Blessings that will far outlast the moon. Those who come to him will never hunger or thirst again. Jesus is the king who serves his people. He gave his life for his people, and he lives to bless his people. Therefore, it is a joy to live under his rule. Friends, to to be a Christian is to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. You do not want to live under the authority of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a Christian. Those two things are incompatible. If you're to be a Christian, you must submit to his authority and follow his commands. Notice in verse 5 that Solomon prayed that the people would fear the king for as long as the sun and moon endure. Friends, the call of Jesus Christ is a call to humbly submit to his rule and reign, to submit to his authority. His people are to have a holy fear of him. I think with our our modern view of authority, the distrust for authority, that can be a tough message to hear. But friends, the wonderful reality is that Jesus rains down eternal blessings on those who follow him. But friends, is this your view of the authority of Jesus Christ? Are you eager to fear him and to follow him and to submit to him? and to live under his rule, and to take up your cross daily and follow him for as long as the sun and moon endure. Friends, Christians are those who delight to follow their Savior, and they are those who then flourish under his rule. Christians are to rest in his goodness. Third, we're to anticipate his rule. We see this in verses 8 through 11, third point of the sermon, anticipate his rule. Solomon's desire was for God's kingdom to grow and expand, for God's fame and renown and glory to spread as his kingdom spread. Look at Solomon's prayer for the extent of the rule of the king in verses 8 through 11. May he rule from sea to sea and from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes kneel before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish And the coast and islands bring tribute, and the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all kings bow in homage to him. All nations serve him. In 1 Kings 4.21, we read that Solomon ruled all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines, and as far as the border of Egypt. They offered tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. We also read in 1 Kings kings that indeed the queen of Sheba did come to hear of Solomon's wisdom and present him gifts. His kingdom was vast, but it was not universal. The church, there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
The Father has given, all, given the nations, all nations, as an inheritance to the Son. And Solomon here prays that all nations and all kings would pay homage to the Son. In other words, they would bow down and, and worship or perish in their rebellion. And friends, the great rulers of this earth, whether kings or sheikhs or presidents or prime ministers or anyone else, they cannot save themselves. They must bow before King Jesus. Those who willingly bow before him will be lifted up to salvation. But those who oppose the rule of King Jesus and rebel against him, those kings and rulers who think that they are self-sufficient, those who use their authority for their own good and their own glory, for their own enrichment, well, they will lick the dust. They will be judged. It may not happen until they die, but that day is coming. There is coming a day when God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. A day when Jesus returns in glory and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. A day when his, when his rule becomes visible and will extend from sea to sea for all to see. It will be universal and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When church, if you're a Christian, you should long for and anticipate the day when those promises become a reality. I mean, what a glorious day it will be when Jesus' reign extends from shore to shore and all bow before him. It's not going to be a good day for those who have not bowed the knee in this life. It will be a day of terror. But for Jesus' people, it will be a day of glory and joy. It will be a glorious day when gifts and honor and tribute flow to him from the ends of the earth. Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. But church, you are not just to long for that day and pray for that day, though you should. You are also to live your life in light of that day or in expectation of the day. You're to live with the daily faith that in fact one day this prayer will be gloriously and fully and visibly fulfilled. Friends, you live your life in light of that day by recognizing the fact that Jesus' reign is even now universal. His rule and his reign have already begun. He is seated on his throne even now. He is the sovereign creator, and he is even now sovereignly governing all things in this earth according to his will. Not one thing in the whole universe comes to pass apart from his blessing and his authority. His universal rule is invisible now. We cannot see it. His rule over his people, invisible. But one day, it will be made gloriously visible for all to see when he comes in glory. As Abraham Kuyper, the prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s, well, Abraham Kuyper once said this, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Friends, Abraham Kuyper was a man with great authority, the leader of a country, but one who recognized that his authority came from one who had greater authority. Though he was the leader of his nation, he came and he knelt before King Jesus. 
Friends, again, the question, is this you? Do you live in light of the universal and complete sovereignty of Jesus Christ? There is no place that his dominion does not extend. There is no place that his rule does not extend even now. Friends, it extends into the places that no other person can see. It extends into the privacy of your bedroom. It extends over your internet search history. His rule extends to your thoughts and your attitudes and your motives. His rule extends over the words that you say, both out loud and under your breath. Church, are you seeking to bring those things into subjection to him? Jesus is king over all. Jesus is even now providentially governing every circumstance of your life. Do you trust him and willingly submit to his good providence, even during the difficulties of your life and the trials of your life? Are you eagerly anticipating and and praying for Jesus' visible and universal reign? Are you praying, come, Lord Jesus, come? And are you living in light of his present rule and reign? And his people are to anticipate his rule and to live in light of his rule. Fourth, fourth thing we see in the psalm is we are to trust in his salvation. That's what we see in verses 12 through 14. Now, when Israel first demanded a king, the prophet Samuel issued uh, a warning to the people of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 18. Again, you don't have to turn there. You can write that down and go look at it later and discuss it over lunch if you want. But this is the warning that Samuel gave. I'm going to cut out some of it. These are the rights of the king who will reign over you. So this is Samuel talking to the people of Israel. These are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses or running in front of his chariots. He can take your best fields, vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourself. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. And raising up a king for themselves, they were rejecting the kingship of the Lord. And Samuel warned of a king who would burden his people for his own benefit. And friends, though the rule of Solomon was great and in many ways the people flourished under his rule, he also burdened the people of Israel with heavy taxes. He subjected some, not the people of Israel, but foreigners who lived under his rule. He subjected them to forced labor to complete his building projects. He was both a blessing and a burden to those he ruled. That's not the picture of the ideal king of Psalm 72, is it? Yes, Jesus rules and reigns over his people. He calls us to be his servant. He has all the rights of a king over us, his people. He demands our allegiance. But look at the heart of King Jesus, the ideal king for his people, starting in verse 12. For he will rescue the poor who cry out and the afflicted who have no helper. He will have pity on the poor and helpless and save the lives of the poor. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious in his sight. Friends, why do people flourish under the reign of Jesus Christ? 
Why will all come and bow before him? We see it in verse 12. For, or because, he is the rescuer and the redeemer and the savior of his people. In contrast to all earthly rulers and kings who accumulate for themselves, Jesus lives for his people. The lives of his people are precious in his sight. So precious, in fact, that he gave his very life for them on the cross. And he rose again that they might have life in him eternal. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And friends, though Jesus repeatedly demonstrated his compassion and mercy to the poor and the sick and the needy during his time on earth, you must understand that Jesus did not come primarily for the purpose of freeing his people from material poverty or physical sickness. No, those healings were a demonstration that he came for those who were spiritually sick and needy. He came to make them well. Brothers and sisters, by definition, all of Jesus' people, all Christians, are those who are poor and afflicted. We are all afflicted by sin, victims of, well, not victims, self-made victims of spiritual poverty. Jesus came for those who recognize their sickness of sin, their spiritual poverty, and they look to him to make them well. Jesus came to give his people the water of life and bread from heaven so that they will never hunger and thirst again. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 6, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, friends, if you are here this morning and you are right now afflicted with sorrow, burdened with despair, or suffering with anxiety, if you are suffering under the the guilt and the shame of sin that has not been confessed, of a life that has not been submitted to Jesus, Jesus invites you to come to him and find comfort and rest. He invites you to come flourish under his rule. If you hunger for his righteous rule, he invites you to come and submit. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is a king who will not burden you, but a king who will comfort you and give you rest. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus the king came to rescue and redeem his people. The lives of his people, again, are precious in his sight. He willingly gave up his life for them on the cross. Friends, is not that a king that you want to follow? Just think about Jesus' life. Think about that song we just sang, He's done so much for me. Is not that a king you want to follow? Friends, if you are here and not a Christian... If you have never submitted your life to Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins, placing your faith in him, and living under his kind and benevolent rule according to his word, Jesus invites you to come under the umbrella of his righteous rule and reign now. He urge you to repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ.
His people are those who trust in His salvation. The fifth, they hope in His endurance. Verses 15 through 17. In verses 15 through 17, Solomon prayed for the endurance of the king. He prayed that he would live long and that his name would endure forever as long as the sun shines. May his fame increase. Now, church, if someone like this ideal king that's described in Psalm 72 was placed in charge of your own country or the country that you were living in, what would you be hoping for? My guess is that you would hope that person's rule lasted as long as possible. My guess is you would be hoping that that person's rule would last as long as Queen Elizabeth of the United Kingdom. She was queen for 70 years. And why not? This is the king who rules with righteousness and justice, the king who saves, the king before whom all other kings will bow. This is a king under whom the righteous will flourish. Who doesn't want that to endure forever? And so Solomon once again prayed that the people and land would flourish under the rule of this king. He prayed that that all nations would be blessed by him or in him. He is a king not just for Israel, but for the nations. A king that offers his blessing and salvation to all who submit to his rule. He shows no favoritism. His salvation is not just for Israel. His salvation is not just for the rich and powerful. His salvation is for all. My friend Solomon did live and reign a long time. But his rule and reign did not match these lofty standards. Again, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 42 through 43. The length of Solomon's reign in Jerusalem over all Israel totaled 40 years. Solomon rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of his father David. His son Rehoboam became king in his place. For as great as King Solomon was, he didn't even make it as long as Queen Elizabeth. But as for Jesus... Isaiah 9, 7, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Hebrews 1, 8, that Juliet just read for us. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. Revelation 1, 18, Jesus is the living one who is alive forever and ever. Jesus will outlast every other ruler and authority. His name will endure forever. As long as the sun shines, his fame will increase. His years have no end. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. He is the universal king who saves all who come to him humbly in repentance and faith. Church, again, that invites the question, what are you living for and who are you serving? Are you living for that that will pass away? Do you fear and serve earthly authorities? Or do you fear and serve the one who will reign forever and ever? Are you living to see your name and your fame increase? Or to see the fame and the name of Jesus Christ increase? Do you desire that he increases and you decrease? Or is it the opposite? Are you sharing the gospel and seeking to see his name and fame spread from shore to shore? Brothers and sisters, as his people, we are to live to see his name and his fame spread from shore to shore. Your desire should be for Jesus 
to receive all glory and honor and praise, for gold to be brought continually to him, for prayers to be offered continually for him, for his name to endure and to increase. And this is where the final verses of this psalm point us. The sixth thing that we are to do as his people we want to live under the authority of King Jesus. We are to praise his name. So we see in verses 18 through 20. And verses 18 and 19 are something of a, a doxology, a, a response of praise by the people of God. But the whole psalm to this point has been a prayer for the king. Then it con- concludes, not with a prayer for the king, but in praise to God. Well, why is that? I think it's because God is the one who would provide the king, his people, needed. He is the one who would empower and could empower this king to rule righteously and justly. He is the only one who could answer the prayer that is offered in Psalm 72. But that's not the only reason I think that this psalm ends with praise to God. I think one pastor put it well when he said this, and I'm paraphrasing. He said, This psalm ends with praise to God because the king we ultimately need is not just a man, but it is God himself. The king we need is not just a man, but is God himself. So we've seen throughout this psalm, for as great as Solomon was, for as great as his father, King David, was, neither were the true and righteous king that the people of Israel need. They fell short of ruling with perfect righteousness and justice. They were people marked by sin themselves. Their reigns did not endure until sun and moon were no more. They were not able to provide eternal blessing to their subjects. They could not save. No mere man, brothers and sisters, could be the king we need. So God sent Jesus Christ, his son, the one who is both fully God and fully man, who is the exact imprint of the nature of his Father, who is God himself. So we praise the name of God. We bless the name of God. This psalm ends by blessing the name of God because he both provides the king we need and he is the king we need. Verses 18 and 19 are to be the response of the people of God for giving us the king we need a response to the blessing of King Jesus to his people. So friends, that being said, I want to do something a little bit different as we conclude this sermon. I want to ask you all to stand. Please stand. And I want you, as you're standing, to take a look at the conclusion of verse 19. This is how it ends. Amen and amen. Amen means something like, let it be. So this psalm concludes with God's people saying, Amen and Amen. Yes, let it be. Let the whole earth be filled with your glory. Let your name, God, be blessed. But more than that, let the words of this prayer be true. Provide this king. It is an expression of trust and confidence that God will answer this prayer and that he will bring it to pass. That his king will rule in righteousness and justice that he will save and bless his people, that all will bow before him and that his name and his fame will endure for all time and forevermore. Friends, God has brought this to pass in Jesus Christ. And yet, 
as his people, we're still waiting for the fullness of Psalm 72 to be revealed for its complete fulfillment when Jesus returns in glory and brings all the earth in subjection to him. Friends, this is a prayer that we should still that we should pray. So I'm going to read verse 18, and I'm going to read the first part of verse 19 out loud. I'm going to stop right before the amen and amen, but I want you, church, to say that out loud. So I'm going to read verse 18, the first part of verse 19, and then you're going to respond, amen and amen. Your desire as a Christian should be to live under the just, righteous, and good rule of King Jesus. And so as you respond by saying amen and amen, let this prayer be the desire of your heart. Friends, let Jesus be the desire of your heart. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does wonders. Blessed be his glorious name forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Amen. Amen. Uh, You may be seated and let's pray.